0: a quick note before we jump into the podcast today uh, this episode was recorded on Wednesday evening in Denver uh, about six uh, six to ten hours before the actual confirmation of the sale of Newcastle United from Mike Ashley to our new owners led by the PIF and organized by Amanda Stavely. So, any notes and thoughts we have prior to the uh, takeover being completed might be slightly changed now. Anyhow, enjoy the episode. <sighs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> hello everyone and welcome to the false nines this is the 76th episode of a bi-weekly well and discussion i'm your host zach bedzak alongside my slightly delayed on his uh his sipping noise at a co-host adam goffin adam how are we doing tonight
1: footy zach preemptive slash delayed cans footy yeah beer bottle
0: but cans in the in the mindset right now Footy. uh Wow, what what a wild 24 hours for for the EPL and and for Newcastle United. Um, let's just jump right into it Adam. Crazy scenes <laughs> for anybody for anybody who who isn't up to speed um, in the last I, maybe more like 48 hours or so, uh, Saudi the Saudi Arabian PIF and the Saudi Arabian government has announced that they will stop uh, they've ceased their ban on the Qatari uh, Be in sports um, broadcasting football or broadcasting anything in Saudi Arabia, and the reason that this is such a monumental announcement is that uh, the BN BN Sports is the uh, TV uh, broadcaster for the Premier League in a, a large section of Europe and in the Middle East, and the Premier League, um, due to their allegiance to Be In Sports and, and both legal and Financial allegiance um, has been pretty much uh, unwilling to do any sort of business regarding Saudi Arabia uh, during this dispute. Um, and so, Saudi Arabia pulling down the ban on being sports um, has been reported by pretty much every journalist under the sun in the last 24 hours to be the last hurdle that uh, needed to be cleared for the Newcastle transfer to be not only back on, but as uh, so a lot of people are reporting it perhaps even completed entirely in the next 48, 36, 24, 72 hours. So a, a whirlwind of news that, that might've seemed speculative at first, but I think grew to become more and more substantiated and legitimate as the day progressed today.
1: Yeah. It's been a really interesting one to your point. And, uh, another friend of the pod, um, Graham Bell, who, uh, guest, guest hosted, I think with you one time on the false nines, okay. uh, Yep. So Graham is back in Newcastle, um, has some great connections. He's done podcasts and interviews with the likes of Malcolm McDonald um, on the Newcastle side. So pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, He was he was posted on Facebook today and I'll, I'll read this to you. This is not how I was expecting today to go. Helping draft a welcome letter to Newcastle United's incoming new owners from Newcastle United Supporters Trust. The whole thing is completely surreal. And of course, I called his bluff on it. And said you know hey we've been here before um what do you what do you you think right is there anything left to check off here is this for real he goes i'd not be surprised if it's already done expect something official in the next few days no later than friday so just incredible right um from honestly i I, i've not been paying attention because this is one of those scenarios where i have like to bury my head in the sand a little bit and i'll be like yeah 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 Tell, tell tell me when it's done. Tell tell me when somebody's holding a scarf outside of St. James's Park and then I'll finally believe yep. that Mike Ashley is gone. That's been my attitude all along. And apparently, again, we could be just 24, 48 hours from that happening as we record on Wednesday evening here in Denver.
0: Yeah, it's, it's surreal is probably the best word for it. Um, really unexpected. We had a about a year and a half or so of these take over rumors, um, you know, pro- false promises and uh, false, you know, kind of uh, reports that it was done and dusted, you know, numerous times and then finally having it pulled out entirely. So, yeah, it, you know, it, you, it would be hard to believe that any Newcastle fan at this point would would you know buy, buy into it being legitimate right off the bat. But um, hearing this from Graham, a vocal member of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, and hearing it from Luke Edwards, hearing it from George Calkin, hearing it from all these people whose jobs are, you know, following Newcastle as beat writers, um, it's, it's tough to believe that it's, it's actually here, but it seems like it might be done.
1: Yep. And another stat that I read today is that Newcastle United's Potential investment um, with with the uh, the new ownership group coming in. We think about the likes of Manchester City. Their owner has a net worth of twenty three billion. Roman Abramovich about ten billion. This would be three hundred and twenty billion at our disposal potentially for Newcastle to have invested in their club. This is far and away making us, if this goes through, the most rich and wealthiest club. In the history of world football, for our tiny little club Newcastle United, what what do you think, Zach? What's your what's your initial reaction here if if it were to go through?
0: It's a tough one. We have talked about this numerous times uh, on the pod, especially last summer when every week seemed to be you know the, this big kind of groundbreaking update and and what was going on. But it's tough for me, Adam. I got to be honest; like it really is hard first of all, it's, it's not only really hard to believe, but it's hard to kind of conceptualize what will change um, both in the short term and, you know, in, in kind of the coming years, if again, assuming that this all happens, um, the investment would, you'd assume come in immediately in January and next summer. Um, you'd expect a managerial change perhaps as early as before the end of the year. Um, but I don't know. I, it's, it's a really tough one because, as we spoke about a lot, you know, there are, there are a lot. I, I think a speckled past is is very underselling it. it there are a lot of um, pretty disturbing aspects that comes with the new ownership group, the the public interest fund that is run by Mohammed bin Salman, the head of the Saudi Arabian Kingdom, uh, a man who has been embroiled in not only controversy but. Um, really really serious and uh, disturbing human rights allegations by the World Trade Organization uh, the um, the the murder the torture and execution of uh, journalist Jamal Kasagi a number of years ago that technically has never been entirely tied to Solomid but anybody who has kind of dug into it you know can form their own opinion. And a lot of ties seem to be towards the Saudi Arabian prince. Um, And I think that's, what's hard for me is, you know, we've wanted for so long for Mike Ashley to be gone and for Newcastle to, to have the influx of money. The issue isn't, you know, the corruption of the club soccer is a, a sport with zero salary cap and, and money truly runs everything. So that's not really where I have the issue. If, if it was a, an oil baron who, you know, didn't have any sort of, uh, didn't have any sort of kind of, uh, you know, issues on his registry as a, as a human being, I I would be entirely excited about it. But I think, you know, the side of me that, that looks at this as more than just my favorite club, it, it makes it very hard to disconnect, you know, what I know about the man from what I know that I want for, for Newcastle United.
1: Yeah, I think you raise some really good points, and Dave, friend of the pod, um, I think shares a lot of the same opinions that you do. So I, I think you know I, I've given my opinion on this before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it again. If it could be somebody else with this sort of wealth, absolutely, I'd prefer for it to be somebody else than somebody who's sh- shrouded in such controversy um, and obviously has all these. Notable things that he's done in the past that are super questionable from a moral standpoint and and down, downright illegal if you uh, if you want to take it a step further than that. So it's it's tough in that respect. Um, and I think that you know what what I what I am thinking really kind of from a from a future standpoint is I I want there to be an investment in newcastle united no matter what that investment is so that's um it's it's going to be difficult for me to to wrap my head around really somebody or anybody coming in with a large amount of money to spend in the club because we haven't really seen those days since the days of freddie shepherd um i would prefer it was somebody else but i'm not going to deny that opportunity for us as newcastle fans right i mean it's kind of you don't get to choose you don't get to really say this is my club I support it. I wouldn't have wanted Mike Ashley to be the um, the owner of our football club for the last 14 years, knowing what I know now. But I don't get a say in that. I don't get a say in the fact that he's come in and he's run the club poorly. I don't get a say in the fact that Steve Bruce is the current manager of Newcastle United and is doing a piss-poor job at doing that. I don't get a say in the fact that somebody is going to come in with all these quest- this questionable background and potentially invest in the club. The other thing I would say, Zach, is – you know, he's not the only investor in this. There are many other investors um, that are part of this, like Stavely, like the Rubin brothers, who do not have a questionable background. And you kind of hope that he's going to be the person behind the scenes funding a lot of this and not somebody who really is going to be a person demanding the attention um, of others. You hope that there's going to be, you know, a little bit less focus on him and more of a focus on who are the players that we can potentially bring in and what sort of manager can we bring in to replace the absolute atrocity that is Steve Bruce right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, those are all those are all very valid points. You're right. We are left in we're, – we're always as fans in this kind of purgatory in a sense of, you know, I support the club, not the regime, right? Like that's what Newcastle fans have said for so long. And now you almost can use it as this – like converse sense of uh not justification but like sense of logic of why you know you will continue to support Newcastle you're you're supporting the team of Newcastle you're supporting the city of Newcastle you're supporting the history that is Newcastle United perhaps not supporting the regime um obviously the regime now being a a very different person and a very different group um I yeah who who knows what will happen I I do know that Amanda Staveley and um, you know, her her consortium are not. Go- I I don't think they will have very much say over anything. Purely because from what I've read, their the ownership that they will have is a much much lower percent um, of the club, and they simply have a lot less money invested in the club than you know the PIF will. So I'm a little doubtful on that regard, but. I agree with you that it's one of those things where it's difficult to it's difficult to look at it and not be excited for the Newcastle United that we support, the the team that goes out and plays every week, um, and grappling with the fact that Newcastle United is now associated and, and owned by um, you know a person and an organization in a country that is not uh, necessarily align with a lot of our own independent morals and ethics is I suppose a discussion for, for, you know, a a discussion for a different time in a way.
1: Yeah, I think so. You you know, I, I I said this to a friend today, you know, it would take someone with incredible morals to walk away from a club like Newcastle United, which is so near and dear to so many people to put the morals above um, anything else. I think, um, would take an incredible person and probably somebody who's a better person than I am to do that. Um I just, I'm too, I'm too bought in and invested at this point to let, to let that be a deciding factor for, for me of whether I do or do not support Newcastle United. if that makes sense?
0: Yeah. And that's, that is your right as a fan. Um, there's, I don't think, I, I don't think there's anybody that can tell you that you're wrong for continuing to support your club just in the same way that there's nobody can that can like you said there's nobody that can tell somebody else that they are wrong for walking away from a club if if their priorities lie elsewhere there's no right and wrong um but yeah just, just still just not much more to say just a wild turn of events and something that happened so quickly such an, a quick escalation that um there's almost not not too much more to analyze until we get more official news of what's going on
1: that said, allow yourself to dream for a minute. Let's say the takeover happens, and let's say over the international break, Steve Bruce is sent off where he, he belongs, which is um, at the job center looking for another position. Who would you say would be the the first manager that you would want to see come in at Newcastle, Zach? And um, just for listeners, Zach's been having some troubles with a uh, a fire alarm in his apartment complex, um, so – you may hear a little background noise. There's well no fire.
0: <laughs> There's no <laughs> fire. This happens every week. <laughs> uh, this is so frustrating. Um, who would I want to see come in? Sorry, as a manager or a, a, a players? What
1: As a manager to replace Steve Bruce, uh, if he were to be let go during the international break here.
0: Hmm. That is a tough one. Who is currently... Not managing a club. Uh Maximiliano Allegri? Allegri. Allegri would be a Allegri would be a decent shout, I think. Uh I heard who, zinedine uh, Zidane
1: uh, thrown around today.
0: Uh I don't know if I really like that one.
1: Uh I don't want I don't like yeah. that one either. Um I'm, another yeah. one another one I heard who's like the, the Wait, most highly
0: managed is managing so I'm sorry. Uh
1: that well, let's that's right. He went back not... there, didn't he?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, that it was very, very recent. So, um, yes. What was yep. another one that you said you heard thrown around?
1: The other one being thrown around as in like the most promising up-and-coming manager in world football right now is Xavi and the way that he has his team playing in the Middle East right now. Um, and it's in the Qatar League. So it would be kind of apparently a little dig to bring somebody from the Qatar League and bring him into uh, into English Premier League football in terms of um, from Saudi Arabian ownership. So I thought that link was interesting. But the That'd the bonus soon. would be having supposedly one of like the, you know, he, he, he's one of the most, he's played in, I guess, one of the most incredibly uh, beautiful footballing teams of all time in Barcelona. We think about Xavi and Iniesta back in the day. And then to have that brand of football, that style of football associated with Newcastle in the Premier League. Can you imagine watching, Pep Guardiola and Xavi go against each other as as managers in the Premier League and the styles of football you'd see on offer there would be breathtaking.
0: I don't know if you saw it, but a, a video went around of a goal that his team in Qatar scored this weekend, and it was yeah, it was pure, mm-hmm. it was pure Barcelona. <laughs> much lower, Total football. Much lower <laughs> level. Yeah, that would be that would be wild. I hadn't I hadn't heard that at all. Yeah, I mean i I think it would be interesting. I think that like anybody who would expect. Newcastle to to catapult to the top of the table by the end of this season is is sorely mistaken like I would almost I would almost uh if 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 the if the takeover went through like in in you know the next week let's say and if Steve Bruce is disposed of in the next couple months it it almost puts a season in kind of like it's almost like a wash you're like all right well we if Steve Bruce is gone, we probably won't get relegated. We we have decent enough players that we probably won't go down. Um so like, yeah, whatever. Like just do get we? the season over with. I I think so. I, I think that I think defense that,
1: defensively, I think we're garbage. Absolute def- garbage.
0: Def- defensively we're garbage. I do think we have uh a decent enough midfield and decent enough strikers if when Callum Wilson comes back that you know, we, we should be able to survive. I, I think it cannot be overstated how negative Steve Bruce is in affecting this team. Um, But yeah, I, the, the first, uh, you're right. The first uh, priority would be stay up and then it just becomes like, what's going to happen in the summer. So yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Wild R- R-
1: R- Ruben Diaz first signing in January transfer window sign Manchester city's captain.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> State, statement um, of intent. Statement of intent by Jack Grealish for 101 million pounds.
1: Let's rub their faces in it. It'd be good. Yeah. Uh, all
0: time.
1: right. Well, more to come on that, I'm sure. And by the time this podcast goes out, maybe there'll even be more news. But you're getting it fresh from us here on a Wednesday night as we got this news probably about no more than 12 hours ago. I'd say Zach's things started coming out from the from the English press. So uh, incredibly yeah. hot takes, takes from us here tonight. Um, we did skip over in our haste. Um, And our excitement to talk about the Newcastle takeover, our EPL trivia question for this week. It's a pretty quick one, so I'll throw that in there and we can get right back to our talking points here. Zach, for you, who is the youngest goalkeeper to make his debut in the Premier League during the 21st century? Okay. That's it. All
0: right. Cool. I I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts. Uh, so I got some yeah. got some
1: good clues for you as well too. I think they're they're be helpful ones for you to say.
0: Cool. How do we transition to to a next talking point after after <laughs> going into you know the world shifting news with Newcastle?
1: Um, let's go back to the yeah, Premier League. Let's, let's talk about kind of some okay. some teams that are kind of um, movers and shakers, um, and potentially some teams that are going heading in the wrong direction. Why, why don't we start okay. with Brentford? Um, Brentford. Obviously, doing really, really well. Had an incredible win this weekend, last gasp win um, in London against. I should say in London at West Ham. They're both in London at West Ham, winning two one in the ninety fourth minute. Not necessarily a smash and grab, I would say. They uh, they played pretty well throughout, and uh, yep. Vissa scored um, for the second game in a row. Scored the equalizer against Liverpool the week prior, and scored again for Brentford to nick all three points for them at the London Stadium. Question for you, Zach, is: Can this Brentford team finish in the top half of the table in the top ten this season?
0: Ooh, I mean, you you can't. I'd say that you can't rule it out. After just a year ago, another newly promoted side in Leeds doing exactly that. Uh, it would be interesting. I mean, they have nicked points off top top clubs. They obviously beat Arsenal on uh, the first day of the season. Arsenal, not a top club. I will make a note there. Um, and West Ham, you know, a team that has been fighting to uh, to be in the, you know, the top six, the top seven themselves. So, I don't know. I, I I don't necessarily believe that Brentford can do it, do what they've done for seven matches for an entire 38. I think that's, you know, we'll, we'll get to points in the holiday period and when the cup games begin that their depth will be tested and the the um, you know the the kind of second go go-around that they'll have playing every other club um, on on the latter half of the season. Um, we'll see if you know they're able to to keep that up. But it has been really impressive. They they clearly have come come out with a game plan this season. Ivan Tony is is really leading the lines quite impressively for Brentford and uh, doing it um, you know very effectively so far as both a, a scorer and a distributor. So, yeah, it's a a team to certainly be excited about. And I would not be shocked if they did finish in the top 10.
1: Yeah, I mean, incredible to say that. I think considering going into the season, we all thought that they were going to be relegation fodder. And I think that the impressive thing for me is that, you know, on the season so far, they've only conceded six goals in seven games. And this was not a Brentford team that were really known in the championship last season for being you know, really good, solid defensively. They just scored a lot of goals. Ivan Tony, obviously top scorer in the championship last season. But they haven't necessarily just been relying on his goals this season either. They've scored 10 goals so far this season in the Premier League and only conceded six. Think about that defensively. It's the same number of goals conceded as Liverpool have had, same number of goals as Manchester United have conceded. Um, it's only one more than has been conceded by Brighton. Um, and Brighton obviously have been doing a fantastic job defensively so far this season. And it's less than teams like Everton, like Spurs, like West Ham, like Villa, Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, all these teams that are perennial um, um, achievers in the Premier League. Brentford are doing the business, right? Six goals, less than a goal a game that they're conceding. And I've just been thoroughly impressed with them so far. In fact, in only one game this season have they conceded more than one goal and that was the three goals that they shipped to Liverpool um, a couple weekends ago so just incredibly impressive so far I'm excited to see where the season will go to your point they've played some tough games so far they've played against Arsenal they've played against Liverpool um, they've played at West Ham West Ham are a European team but really looking at the upcoming games that they have next two are really going to be key ones i think um saturday october 16th they have chelsea at home and then the following weekend they play at home to leicester um so that's going to be really really interesting then they go on a easier run of fixtures burnley norwich and newcastle after that so potentially you know if they can if they can make a couple points in those games and beat some teams around them why not
0: um just three, three beeps that time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I I agree with you, Adam. I I think that they, you know, it's yeah. If they can stay afloat and if they can get past that little rough patch, they should be beating Newcastle. They should be beating uh, those other teams that are kind of um, sitting near the bottom of the table. So again, we, we will see what, what is in store uh, for Brentford as As we go forth. And I I think December, you know, the packed schedule, that'll be the big test. That's a big test for all the new clubs that typically have a less, less depth and and more kind of relying on their one or two superstars. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens um, where, where Brentford are setting come the new year.
1: Yeah, agreed. So a nice transition from a team that is overachieving to a team that is almost certainly underachieving this season. We mentioned them as being an upcoming fixture for Brentford. I believe you've got a question for us to talk about um, from a Leicester standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the question is a question that I asked last week uh, in pertinence to to Leeds, who, who got a win on the weekend, um, which was what is wrong with uh, Leeds United um, and now slowly climbing out of the the bottom of the table. Leicester going the exact opposite direction, winless in their last four games with two losses and followed by two draws. On the weekend, up two 0 in the first half against Crystal Palace, um, and you know conceded that lead and and went on to uh, drop two drop two points and, and get the draw. So uh, it's been really interesting, you know, Leicester being on the cusp of. Uh, the title for the last two years, that period being on the cusp of finishing um, comfortably in the top four and then kind of capitulating. uh, It was pretty bad two years ago and and slightly less dramatically last season, but um, sitting in 13th now and negative or uh, minus three goal differential. uh, They have as many uh, ties as they do wins in seven games. So, so what's going what's going on with Leicester? What's wrong uh, with the boxes right now?
1: It's a good question. I think the, the the very obvious thing that you would say is defensively they're just not as sound as they've been in previous seasons. You know, we we I think one of the things that has been very notable on the Leicester side is just the the massive underperforming um, at the back, and and in particular, I would say just looking at kind of some of the recent performances. What we're seeing on the um, on the lesser side is Soyuncu, who's really been underperforming. Uh, he's somebody that I think a lot of people hung their hat on as like the natural replacement for Harry Maguire when he went to Manchester United, and a lot a lot of people had had really kind of like talked him up, and he had some great performances in the Premier League. He looks a shadow of that player today, and that really just uh, that really concerns me from a Leicester standpoint because if he's not playing well. Then, then they don't really have a lot of good, solid defensive core that they can build on. There, um, they're looking troubled at the back. They're they're looking okay going forward. Interesting that Madison is starting to come back. They've they've played him 20, 30 minutes, James Madison, in the last two games. He's come off the bench and has played for them there, uh, and, and added there. But I think you know the the Nacho and Vardy partnership up front seem to be firing on all cylinders last season, and it seems to have, they both scored in this in this last game against Palace. But in general. I feel like it's been a little bit underwhelming in comparison to last season. Would you, would you agree?
0: I think so. I mean, it, it was always going to be interesting to see Vardy play in a two-man front line because, you know, the title-winning season, he was the sole striker. Um, pretty much every game, you know, uh, Okazaki might have come in and, and kind of, you know, supplemented him. Uh, but I, I think it is it is it is an issue with the back line, without a doubt. We, we talked about it last season that Sojan did not... Um, really give the return that he gave in, in two thousand nineteen and his first season in the Premier League. And just looking at Leicester's lineup from the weekend, uh, Ryan Bertrand, Jan soy Solanke, Thomas Kostadinou on the right. That's a bit of a patchwork defense, not the the back four that Leicester has started every game. Not the back four um, that you might expect to see if everybody is healthy. So uh, I do wonder, you know, if there the not the magic is run out, but if they're kind of regressing to uh, some mid-table-ish side. I, I think that with the quality they have in that team, um, they, they will finish in the top half. I would be shocked if they finished under 10th this season. But there, there are cracks starting the show. And, and kind of like you said before, players that might have overshot the mark in the past somewhat kind of coming down the earth. Um, it is quite telling that they're unable to keep these leads, unable to have that. Um, you know that kind of like finishing bite that they had um, not just in the title winning year but in the in the few years following
1: yeah, that's a good point point. and let me ask you this do you think Brendan Rogers is unfireable this season
0: they pulled the trigger on Ranieri the year after he won the title so I don't think you can really say anybody's unfireable at, at Leicester at the moment um, Rogers has done a fantastic job with that club but Again, the buck has to stop somewhere, and um, if he's not getting his players, you know, to put in those top performances, if he's not able to implement the changes in game that, that are getting them three points week after week, you'd have to think that the the seat is getting slightly hotter as as the matches go on. Um, we'll see. If Lester keeps slipping, then I I don't think anybody should be unfireable. Um, so if yeah. yeah, if Lester can't can't start picking up points, then you have to wonder how much longer Rodgers will be there.
1: Yeah. And it, it, the other interesting thought I had was, you know, that this is the second season, I believe, that Leicester have now been competing in the Europa League. So they've got these Thursday night fixtures that they're in all the time. Um, you've seen Arsenal's fall from grace, falling out of those European places, um, and how um, Spurs have done the same, obviously, playing in the Conference League this time. Do you think the toll of playing in the Europa League so consistently on a Thursday night um, is really. Uh, a a reason for why we might see these teams kind of slipping off.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think that's a a very valid kind of theory for it. Um, And I I think Leicester is not a team with a lack of depth. You know, they've been in Europe now for a few years and they've been able to reinvest and and get more players. But I think it's, it's frankly like a, uh, a case where if you want to compete in Europe, you have to be putting out um, your, your best team or something close to your best team, on a somewhat of a regular basis. And I think there might be a gap in quality uh, for Leicester between their, their starting 11 and the players who, who line the bench. Um, And also a lack of experience. You have, you know, players like Iose Perez, you have players like Patson Daka, Bobakari, Samare, uh, James Madison, even that do not have a lot of experience in international play. Um, And I think that that might show uh, and potentially kind of lead to a bit of a distrust that, um, rogers might have going into a european game and fielding those types of players
1: yeah absolutely and you know you think about the way last season ended with them winning the fa cup and the way this season started with them um winning the community shield i don't think anybody saw this coming i think everybody assumed that they would be back at the top top half of the table competing and, and pushing for a champions league place again but it's the beauty of the premier league my friend it's it's tough to predict everything correctly right
0: Absolutely. and Thank goodness. Thank goodness I jumped ship to Le- from Leicester and went back to uh, my lifelong club uh, that I want to talk about now, Liverpool Football Club, a, a club that I've supported my entire life since being born on Merseyside. Of course, kidding here. I jump ship every other week. Um, but I do want to transition here, Adam. And before our first commercial break, uh talk about a team and a player that are in fantastic form at the moment. That team, Liverpool, sitting a point behind Chelsea um, in second in the table. And the player in particular, Mohamed Salah, the the talismanic winger for Liverpool, is playing at uh, a clip and a a level that, despite how good and how consistent Salah has been his entire time in the Premier League, I I don't think that we've seen him at the level of influence that he's at. The moment uh his goal against Manchester City on the weekend, one of the best goals that I've seen in the Premier League in a number of years. Uh a drop of the shoulder, a spin, a, a messy-like change from left to right, uh, and then just slotting the ball uh post in on, on the back post to to give Liverpool the lead. Um so yeah Adam, I, I just wanna I, I want to hear your thoughts uh as to kind of the legacy that Salah is leaving in, in the Premier League, both you know, his place currently amongst players playing all over the world and just how you, uh, a person who's followed soccer for quite a bit longer than I have, view him in the, the grand context of English football?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think when you, you talk about him in all-time Premier League wingers category, I think, you know, I go I go back a long way in the Premier League in terms of my viewership of it. And I think the player that I would compare him to the most is probably Thierry Henry Henry Mm. at his best was one of the he was a winger converted into a striker um and but he he typically kind of floated out to the wings and I think that's what Salah does as well Salah can play through the middle if they need him to but he prefers to be out um on the on the wings and typically on the right hand side of the of that kind of front three if you will for Liverpool um there aren't many better if you think about goal scoring like you, you think about wingers back in the day like David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, who contributed some goals, especially from a set-piece standpoint, and the quality of crosses into the box. That's not what mosala is about. He's not about the ball into the box. He's about the ball through the middle, right? Um, feeding um, Sadio Mane for the goal, um, fantastic assist for that goal. And then the the brand of football that he has is just that he can score with his right foot and he can score with his left foot. And I think that that's something that I would compare him to Thierry Henry. So when we think about all-time Premier League wingers, Mosala is definitely up there probably top three for me. Um and I would say he's 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 certainly yeah. certainly in the conversation for you know Premier League Hall of Fame, I would think at this point in his career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um and as I mentioned before, I think it's a consistency that's the most um just astounding for me. He came into the Premier League. It's he set the single season goal record in his first year in the Premier League. Like that is that is a remarkable thing to do, putting up 32 goals in, in 36 matches. Um, and then have it has not dipped below 19 goals, which he got in 2019-2020 as his lowest total, um, 22 and 22 coming in his other two Premier League seasons. So the consistency, his ability, like you said, to to open up play and the, the assist for the, uh, the Sadio Mane goal, almost as nice as his own goal. Um, mm-hmm. he, he really is the perfect player for this Liverpool team uh, that wants to play with speed uh, Salah has that he want they want to play uh, with players he can cut in from the wing Salah has that playing off the right uh, and it, it just it, it really is an incredible joy to watch that man gather the ball and run uh, and and do things that I don't think I, I truly don't think any other player in the world right now can do. I think that Mohamed Salah is in a in a class among his own as as it comes to uh, wingers in in world football at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I totally agree, and I think that you know that goal that you're talking about is going to absolutely be in the goal of season contenders. It's going to be going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, it it most certainly will, and hopefully, you know, once. Uh, once Newcastle gets bought, we can sign Mohammed Salah to a new deal in the summer to, to come to, to timeside the place that he's always wanted to play his trade.
1: That's right. We'll have Salah and Erling Holland up top and then Ruben Diaz captaining us at the back. It's gonna be it's gonna be exactly. wild.
0: It's it's the FIFA career mode that we've always dreamed of as <laughs> as Newcastle fans. Uh, all right, Adam. Well before we take a quick break, why don't you come out with your first trivia question clip?
1: All right, so again, reminder for listeners, who's the youngest goalkeeper to make his debut in the Premier League during the 21st century, so 2000 or later? Your first clue, Zach. He made his debut in 2005 and is still a squad member for a Premier League team today.
0: Mm, Okay, rules out the the first guest that I had, which was Kepa Ruta I did not play in the Premier League in 2005,
1: so. Did not, All no.
0: Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Cool. I like that. That's great. Well, everyone chew on, chew on your thoughts during our quick commercial break. Um, and we will come back with the second half of our pod and hopefully severely less fire alarms than we had in the first half. All right. We are back with the second half of the false nines. This is episode 76. As we're gonna close it out with uh, a few of our favorite sections armchair pundits 10 to 90 and then uh, wrapping it up with the final clue and answer to the trivia question. All right Adam armchair pundits start us off today what what audacious uh, what audacious thought do you have on this glorious Wednesday?
1: Well, you mentioned his name already during this podcast, and um, I'm sure you probably heard the news, but Watford fired their manager last weekend and promptly Mm -hmm. went and appointed one Claudio Ranieri as their new manager on a two-year contract. My armchair pundit for you, Zach, is that Watford will fire Claudio Ranieri before the end of the season. (laughs) Ooh,
0: that's, that's... I don't know if I'm going to let that slide as an armchair pundit. That's a, that's a that's a soft take, Lundgren, <laughs> Lundgren, I think it would be. I think it'd be more. It would be more shocking if you said that he will maintain his job throughout the entire season. Because <laughs> that is what Watford does best: is fire people.
1: For exactly. I just think that they have unrealistic expectations, and this, this armchair pundits was really more about, I think, that the the unrealistic expectations of the ownership group at Watford, of what they can expect of this team this season. I mean, yes, there's been some investment in the team. They have a quality player in Ishmael Assar, fantastic player, probably, um, I would say, probably one of the best players in the bottom half of the league, if you will, in those teams. But but I digress. You know, it's seven points from seven games. They're sitting in 50th place in the league. They're not anywhere near the relegation zone. They're four points clear of it. What were they expecting? What were the what were the realistic expectations of Watford's management group for, for this team and you know Ranieri's coming in in the beginning of October he's on a two-year deal. he's got to wait you know three months of fixtures worth before he can actually put his stamp on the team from a new new signings perspective. Um, and I just think they'll he'll lose a couple of games he'll probably he'll probably get fired after a narrow 1-0 loss at manchester city or something like that knowing watford's ownership group um i just i think they have unrealistic expectations and i think that renieri has been the martyr before he's fallen um, by way of the axe many many times in the past and i think it'll happen again to yeah i
0: i think that the fact like the the smoking gun there in terms of it being an overreaction is the fact that they're not in the relegation zone, they were tipped to be in the relegation zone. So if anything, they're out slightly outperforming expectations. And to fire your manager at this point in the season is, is ludicrous. It just, like, for for no club, it makes sense to fire your manager uh, seven games into uh, a season. So I agree. I think Ranieri's leash couldn't be shorter just by the nature of, you know, this this distorted sense of reality that the want for an seem to live in.
1: Yep, exactly. What do you got for me this week, sir?
0: Ooh. Um, Adam, this is tough. This is a tough thing for me to say to you. Because I've been on the hate train for a very, very, very long time. But I think... That Gabriel Jesus is one of the most important players at Manchester City at the moment. I might oh. say he is in I might say he is in the top four most important impactful players so far this season at Manchester City. And
1: yikes. Do you think you know he's worthy of a number team? nine jersey at Manchester City? Or are you just saying he's an important player?
0: Well, yeah, I don't know about the number nine jersey, although what type of history does Manchester City have? Um but I, I don't know, man, like you, you watch him play on the wing. He is, first of all, I think he is a winger, which has like kudos to Pep for kind of figuring out um, at this point in the failed experience, the failed experiment making him a number nine. Uh, but his assist for the Foden goal, just a, a, you know, receive turn and a head down movement toward the center of the box, playing a yep. great ball out to Foden. And credit to Foden, a really nice finish on that one. Uh, Jesus, now at uh, three goals and four assists so far this season, is having a really great year. And I think that you know, a team that truly does not have a, a strike like, there's not one player on Manchester City that is an out and out striker of Grealish, Foden, uh, Mares, Jesus, all uh, I, I'd say, even. You know, Fran Torres is not necessarily a an out and out number nine. The fact that Jesus is, is really picking himself off the mat and kind of making making himself be a, a consistent name on that starting eleven is is really impressive. Something I did not expect to see happening, but he has been fantastic, um, kind of providing that spark for City so far.
1: Credit where credit's due. I think you know, he, you know, he's he's definitely picked it up this season and City don't play in that way where they, they really work well with an out-and-out striker or a number nine. It may, means, means it's going to be very interesting if the Harry Kane saga picks up again in the transfer window, obviously. Um, they, they played Grealish in the false nine this past weekend against um, against Liverpool. So it's, 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 it's a fascinating one to watch. But I digress. I think that you, you make some great points. Jesus has had a great season so far and, and certainly has been one of the more improved players in the Premier League for me.
0: And... He has tattoos of Donkey Kong and Super Mario on his calf muscles. And as a lover of Nintendo and all things Mario related, I can't help but support what Gabriel Jesus does going forward.
1: That might be one of the most random facts ever uttered on this podcast, Zach. Well done, sir.
0: Had to be said. It had to be said. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. Wonderful. Well, 10 and 90, Adam, shall we get into it?
1: Let's do it. Would you like to go first or second, Zach?
0: I will go second today.
1: All right. Well, I, I was kind to you today. Decided to give you some hypotheticals for a change. Um, so I've got five hypothetical questions for you. Want to hear your opinion, Zach, your hot takes on these. Number one, if the takeover goes through, who will be Newcastle's first signing? I ask this in a, from a realistic standpoint, not from a fairy tale standpoint.
0: Who will be Newcastle United's first signing? It will be. I don't know who's out of contract next summer. See, it's tough because it. Huh.
1: Julian and Buffet. I was just gonna say, but that's not realistic.
0: Yes. No, it, it isn't. So, so the thing is that you have to rule out immediately is any player that wants to be playing Champions League football, because Newcastle will not be playing Champions League football next year, uh, pending a stroke of just miraculous change of events. So, it's tough mm-hmm. because, you, like, you you want to say those top players, uh, Mbappe. I know that uh, Raheem Sterling is being tied with a lot of clubs right now, as he's not finding consistent play time at City, but. You know, players that have been accustomed to playing in the champions League like, will not take that step back. I I would be confident enough to say. So maybe you're looking at those those players that are kind of you know up and coming in the Premier league, cutting their teeth with mid or lower table sides. Uh, you may looking at a like an Ismail Isar, looking at a um I was trying to think of any other player. Like I'd say Buendia if he didn't just go to Aston Villa, but I think a player like that would kind of probably be a more realistic first signing for Newcastle.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. I, I love the Ishmael Sarko. I was surprised that he honestly didn't get um, bought when when they went down. Um, but some, somebody who I've been kind of keeping my eye on recently, who I think has had a fantastic season so far for Brighton, is Eve Basuma. Um, I think he's playing some wonderful football in the heart of midfield for them. And I feel like he's been linked recently with Liverpool in the January transfer window. That'd be the sort of statement signing you'd want to make um, and have somebody come in like a Conte type player to, to really kind of bolster the midfield. I mean, an upgrade from Isaac Hayden and John Joe Shelby, that's for sure.
0: I know. Yeah. Basuma has been linked with a number of top clubs. I will say that a, a report did come out today. It was reported by the sun. So Take it with a, a heavy grain of salt, but a report that Eve Basumo was arrested in a bar in Brighton over the weekend. So keep your eye on that one. But I think for what he does on the pitch, Basumo would be right in line with that that kind of description that we just gave.
1: Perfect. Well give him give him a chance to redeem himself under Xavi at Newcastle United. Question number two. Which side will be top scorers? Sorry. Which side will be top scorers in the Premier League this season?
0: Uh Liverpool. I think Liverpool has too many goals in their team to not be uh, the team of choice. I think it'll be one of the top two. It'll be Liverpool or Chelsea um, because you can you can see goals from pretty much anywhere uh, on both of those sides.
1: Yep, I agree. Uh, who is the most underappreciated player in the Premier League so far this season? And you may not say Gabriel Jesus.
0: That's fair. Um, underappreciated players in the Premier League... Aaron Ramsdale, one, one of your lads, is is that oh, a decent shout? Are
1: you are, are you reneging on your Ramsdale hate here a little bit?
0: I'm having a big reneging day. Yeah, I think so. I didn't. Re- I never hated him. I just never really understood why you were so high on Ramsdale. But it's it's four it's four unbeaten for for Arsenal right now in the Prem. So Ramsdale has played quite well. I know they did have a dull nil nil draw to Brighton on the weekend, but uh, yeah, Ramsdale's been he's been good between the
1: sticks. Yeah. He's a good, good keeper. He's, he's future of England. I would say, unless Mr. Henderson can start playing first team football. Interesting. Wow. That's a a good call. Um, Random random here. I just had a thought that popped into my head. Do you think that Rafa Benitez, who is a beloved Newcastle idol, um, came into Everton and had a conversation with Jordan Pickford about being a Mackham bastard?
0: I don't think it's come up yet. I'm not ruling it out, but I, I do I think not it think it's happened quite
1: yet. Right I think it should. I think, I think should. Robin Robin Olsen should be starting for 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 Everton. Why not? I like that, Chad. <laughs> All right. Question number four. Um, another another person reneging on this one. I'll give credit where credits due. This guy's had a fantastic season so far. Where will Declan Rice be playing his football next season?
0: Declan Rice has been so. Um. Mm, 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 mm. Arsenal, maybe. Maybe Manu. Ars- maybe he replaces Fred.
1: Yeah, Arsenal. I'm like, why would you go to a team that's playing from a team that's playing in Europe to a team that's not playing in Europe?
0: Yeah, a, a huge contract, maybe. Um. Yeah, like Manu. I like Manny. I mean, that's the one he's been linked with for so long, them and Chelsea. But I think that Chelsea is like – he could go to Chelsea. He could replace like Kovacic um, or Conte if Conte continues to be injured. But, yeah, Manny United is the team he's been tied with for so long. So I think that's the safe bet.
1: Yep, I agree. I like that call. So I think probably Manchester United as well. Okay, so who scores more goals this season, Cristiano Ronaldo or Harry Kane?
0: How many does Ronaldo have?
1: Three? Three so far. And I think, I don't think Kane has any, is he? Kane does not have any. Um... Harry Kane, who might break the all-time goal-scoring record in the Premier League versus 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: Hmm. I think it's probably Ronaldo because I think that I think that they just they play so much more of an attacking style than than Tottenham does. Like Tottenham, uh, uh, yeah, is that right or wrong? No, right? no, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, it's probably can because they'll probably catch form and just not stop scoring. Yeah, like that's, it's, got, it's that's gonna happen for him.
1: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like he's gonna I go agree. the whole season with no goals. He's not, ju- he's not He's not Joe Linton. All right, final. He's on Rian Brewster. (laughs) Yeah, God, what a a terrible player he is. All right, pronounce this Welsh word for me, Zach. I'll spell it out for you. L L A N F A I R.
0: Oh, I should have written that one down. L L A N
1: F A I R.
0: know the double l's the double l's sound weird in welsh i'm aware they do
1: very very close okay so i I said this listeners that are not aware of this which is probably most of you i am headed back to wales for the first time in almost two years this coming weekend the word i was trying to get zach to say was llanvair um which is short for which is the longest place name uh, in Wales yes. yes so clanvire yes. so would be the uh, yeah would be the correct answer ah
0: oh, damn it I should have I should have been
1: tipped off by
0: that one
1: ah uh, man while you' back no I'm, I might I might do a little bit there we'll see we'll see but I do oh. want to give you the translation for clanvire because I looked it up Somebody asked me today St Mary's church in the hollow of the white hazel near to the rapid whirlpool of Atlantisilio of the red cave so cool okay. <laughs>
0: I started rereading The Lord of the Rings this week, and that's that. what you just said. It has to be somewhere that Frodo <laughs> goes to in his, in his journey. <laughs>
1: the ring is still lost there to this day.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah under, yes, under the Misty Mountain. Uh, that's, that's, that's funny. Um, will you be going there while you're in Wales?
1: I've never been there, and I probably won't this time. It's probably going to be a little bit more of a low-key trip with COVID, um, and just with health concerns. So you just got to be got to be a bit careful. But I, I'll definitely be hitting up some castles while I'm there, and doing some doing some hiking and, and getting out there. Um, if the weather complies, it's supposed to be pretty rainy while I'm out there. But uh, I am sad a little sad that it's going to be over an international weekend, and Wales are not playing at home. They're playing away in Czech Republic this Friday and then away uh, in Estonia on Monday. Both competitive games, but neither of them in Cardiff. So I'm a little bit sad about that. But the second weekend I'm there, I'm going to go see my hometown team, Kamarlan, play. They're playing in the cup against the team that is um, TNS, who are Total Network Solutions, who are always in Europe. Uh, Really good team. Kamarlan are now in the division below that. So it's a cup game. In the last eight, should be really really fun one to watch. Nothing to lose, right? Give it give it the best that we've got. And then that same weekend, Newcastle will be playing as well. So it'll be it'll be fun to be able to watch match of the day back home again.
0: I'm I'm excited for you. That's going to be a lovely lovely trip, uh, and I'm yeah, glad that you're finally making it back.
1: Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, so ten and ninety, 90 for you, five. Zach. What you
0: what do you got for me? My five questions are. Uh, it's kind of one question, but. It has five parts, so I'm going to give okay. myself a break here. Um, of and it, it, similar to your question, uh, of the players that we want to see, we realistically could see Newcastle signing in the in the next summer. Um, who are? So this is, I guess, kind of it's kind of a multi-part question. Who are the players that? First of all, who are the players that you want to, you think could maintain a starting spot in Newcastle's starting eleven next season? So that that's the first part of the question.
1: Of the current team, um, he's not there right now because he's injured. But Martin Dubravka for sure, um, okay. I think they could he could maintain a spot. Um, nobody in the defense. If I had my way, um, I, don't, I can't think of one defender that I'd want to keep including Jamal Um From a midfield standpoint, I think um, if Joe Willock can can capture some fitness, and again, he went off with an injury in the last game and was still not really looking fully fit at that point, I think Willock's an exciting player that I might like to see keep his keep his spot. Um, St. Maximin and Almiron, I think, are the obvious ones, and Callum Wilson, if fit. I think that's about it, my friend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a lot uh, considering, but I, I agree. I think, yeah, I think ASM and ASM will like are the top two that I would expect. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think, I I think, I think this is like a great catalyst for us potentially keeping ASM because that's been a worry for me for a long time that we may lose him as our number 10.
0: Totally. Yeah. Uh, Okay, cool. Um, And then, what are the what are the positions that you think we most need to strengthen immediately?
1: Is it just across the defense, across the entire back four? It's garbage, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Is there anybody That's... you'd
0: even keep at the club?
1: I think you keep Jam- Jamal Lasalle at the club. He's club captain. I think he's a, a vocal leader on the pitch. He's somebody I'd rely upon. But like. You think about it. If we were to get that sort of investment in the Kieran Clark's and the Fernandeses of the world, they're just not good enough at this level. They're they're not totally. they're not they're not top team um, material, you know. And Fabian Schär hasn't really played a whole lot this season. Um, he's somebody who I think is a little bit overrated, but in the right sort of team and setup, could be a could be a player for us. Maybe maybe it's Schär.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, that's fair. Um, and then questions three through five: uh, If you were creating a five-a-side team with players that you want Newcastle to sign in in the next year, um, who would make that team? And you can include current players. I'm somehow making
1: this three different questions. <laughs> I was going to say how's three through five, but okay, <laughs> I'll just roll. I'll, I'll, I'll roll with it. Um, Donnarumma in goal. I think he's the most talented goalkeeper in the world right now. Okay. Um why not? They've got Killer Navas there already. Let's 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 get Donnarumma in. He's not he's not playing every game, so. Uh bring him in. Um I think you have to go Italian for defense again. Let's get Spinozola in there. Uh can't go wrong Spinazzola with an Italian. So good. Yeah, can't go wrong with an Italian. Good. Um hmm who else would I have? I probably have two defenders, so who else would I have that would be worthwhile bringing in there? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'll go back to what I said earlier on. I think on his day, Ruben DS is is certainly top three defenders in the world for me. He's he's quality. So I go with Ruben DS. Okay. Looking at the midfield, let's go with Eve Basuma. Why not? That's realistic. And I think that he'd be a great player to have in the heart of midfield. He's gonna give his all Conte-esque. And then why not Erling Holland, Erling Holland up top, just to kind of round it out because you know he's an average player that, that could do do the job, do the business for Newcastle, right?
0: That yeah, that's you got it, that's realistic and, and and exactly what Newcastle fans would want to see. So I like that.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he'll take the number nine shirt off, Callum Wilson. <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, Pry it out of Callum Wilson's beautiful hands. Um, yeah. Well. Christman, we, we will see we will see how many of those five play for Newcastle a <laughs> year <it> from today.
1: <laughs> I think you'd presume it might be the only realistic one of that entire list.
0: I agree. Um yep. Okay, cool. Uh, that was somehow questions three through five. So let's hop on <laughs> over to the EPL trivia.
1: All righty. So, uh, as a reminder, uh, who is the youngest goalkeeper to make his debut in the Premier League during the 21st century? So, 2000 or later. First clue halfway through the pod was he made his debut in 2005 and is still a member for an EPL, a squad member for an EPL team today. Your second clue, Zach, he made his debut for Leeds in 2005. That's who he began his club career for. And he now plays for Manchester City for whom he made his first Premier League appearance in over 10 years earlier this year, so last season, in a winning debut against Newcastle, 4-3. It's a lot of clues there.
0: Wow, Scott Carson. I did not know that he was the correct answer to the question.
1: It is absolutely Scott Carson. Well done, sir.
0: How old was he when he started for Leeds?
1: He was sixteen years and three hundred and eight days when he started. That's
0: that's wild. That's yeah. crazy. Was he ever like a top level keeper? I, to be honest with you, I'd never heard of him before that start against Newcastle.
1: Um, never top level. He, he he was kind of a journeyman through his through his career. He's played for a multitude of clubs. Um, but yeah, never never really consistently started um in the Premier League beyond that kind of like stint at Leeds.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad I got that one though, because that yeah, that was all the press that was going around before that game be just due to the fact that the title was cities and they're just like, ah, screw it. (laughs) It Let's just let's let Scott have some fun out there.
1: He has four England caps to his name as well. I thought that was great.
0: Oh, I do like that. That's good. You can't take that away from him. That's pretty
1: impressive. Exactly. Yep, exactly. All right, my friend. Well, it's going to be an interesting day tomorrow as we eagerly Google Newcastle takeover and see which um, which articles first hit our inbox. Um, but listeners, if you're listening to this on Thursday, hopefully you've already heard some good news that the takeover has gone through. Um, and we'll be back. Well, I won't be back, but Zach will be back in two weeks with another episode of The False Nights for you. It
0: should be fun, whether it's just me or me and... Steve Bruce asked him about how it feels to get fired from Newcastle.
1: <laughs> if you make that happen, I will be very impressed, sir. You go do your thing. I
0: appreciate that. All right, Adam. Until next time. Forty. Peace.